0: Hey Skimmers, before we get into today's episode, we wanted to tell you about another show you might enjoy, Not Over It, a new podcast for the pop culture obsessed. Join Pop Sugar's editors each week as they break down the latest and greatest in entertainment. If you're the person in your friend group everyone turns to for info on the latest celeb breakup, a new Spotify playlist, or a TV rec, then check out Not Over It on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's get into the show.
1: The MBA degree is quite popular. There is a perception that it creates a certain type of professional in the world. And so I think people make choices based on that perception without really asking themselves, what is it that I want to gain or learn from business education?
0: I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish with The Skin She is the dean of the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, which is the oldest business school in the country. When she became the dean last year, she became the first woman and the first person of color to lead the school in its 140-year history. Before joining Wharton, Dean James was the dean of the business school at Emory. Dean James, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish.
1: Thank you, Carly. Excited to be here.
0: Very excited to have you. So before we jump into the conversation, we're going to start with a quick lightning round, quick questions, quick answers. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. First job on your
1: resume. (laughs) Burger King.
0: (laughs) Secret hobby or
1: skill? Oh, I... Used to ride a motorcycle.
0: Ooh, I was not expecting that. All (laughs) right. Finish this sentence. What best describes your workday? Working nine till? Ever. (laughs) In box zero or in box a thousand? Thousand. What is the last TV show you binge watched? Mayor of East 10.
1: It's a good one. Who would play you in a movie? we were talking about this recently. Everyone has seemed to suggest that Kerry Washington would play me in a movie.
0: Because you have really good coats and (laughs) Kerry Washington, Olivia Pope coats. Yeah, I see
1: it. What was the last text message you sent? To my daughter this morning, who is wanting me to plan a trip to Canada over the winter break. All right. Shameless plug. Right now, I'm very excited as we welcome a new group of uh, students to the Wharton School, at least in our MBA class, that we have achieved greater than 50% women in our class this year, which has been remarkable. If you know anything about business education, we've lagged behind some other professional schools in terms of having gender parity, and the Wharton School has achieved 52% women in our incoming MBA class, which is very exciting.
0: That's amazing. And I actually, I went to the university of Pennsylvania, so I didn't go to Wharton, but I was on the same campus and I'm really happy to hear that. Let's jump into it. I've been so looking forward to having you on here because we, this is obviously a career podcast. Danielle and I talk very openly about how much we have learned as we have built the skin, but without a traditional business background And one of the top things we end up talking about with our mentors, with people that are coming to us for advice and on the show is, should you get an MBA or not? And there is no better person to ask than you. As we dig into that, I want to understand for you, what drew you to your business education?
1: Well, so let me just challenge the narrative behind the question. I actually, I myself do not have an MBA. So my career and academic profile is in the liberal arts. I was a psychology major, found the field organizational psychology when I applied to graduate schools, and really liked the way in which you apply what you learn as a liberal arts student and and psychology in particular to concrete professional business settings and organizations. So my pathway into business education was really through the discipline of organizational psychology or organizational behavior. And I have just been able to parlay that into really interesting scholarship and the development of new and interesting classes like crisis management, leadership, et cetera. So that was my career pathway.
0: Is it weird to be head of a school for a degree that you yourself didn't get?
1: Uh, Well, it hasn't been weird because I've been doing it you know, I was dean at Emory for a while. I've been now dean here for just over a year. So I think in the role in, as a leader, so much of what you do is around understanding your constituents, around setting a strategy, around articulating a vision, around coordinating people to align with that vision. And you have to obviously know enough about the core product. In our case, it's Business education that you can do those things. So yes, some people may find it unusual that I myself do not have an MBA. But I think if you were to survey many deans of business schools, you might be surprised at the number that do not have MBAs themselves.
0: I mean, I love hearing that and like really calling this out because I think, and I'm going to really draw my own personal experience here, which is I have a lot of pride that I went to Penn, but I also I think personally really. Was at a very, very liberal arts collegiate path, and was on a campus where there's one of the best business institutions you're now the dean of right right there. And I lived with a, you know, a group of girls. and and half the girls I lived with went to Wharton. The other half were also on this liberal arts path. And I always had such, such deep insecurity. Around not feeling like if I went into that business school building, if I took a class, I belonged, that it was so outside of my own skill set. I, I felt like that's just not for me. And I really wanna dig into how you yourself made that actual like pivot from a liberal arts background that many of your peers also have, to really feeling like you actually know how to leverage that into business. And obviously it's worked out quite well for you given where you are today, but that's been my journey. It's just a struggle to like, feel like you belong in kind of the business world when you have that creative foundation. And I would just love to hear from you on, on that.
1: Yeah. So I think that the fields are not as polarized as we oftentimes believe them to be. So for example, even within the liberal arts, there are math majors and physics majors and chemistry majors, economics majors, people who are studying disciplines that are quite quantitatively focused. Likewise, in business education, yes, there are strong emphasis on quantitative skills, but there are also, at least at the Wharton School, we have Healthcare, we have legal studies, we have management and leadership. So we have aspects that are not necessarily perceived to be hardcore quantitative courses. And so I think what I try to get people to understand is that the more we can create holistic learning experiences and opportunities for ourselves, it's the combination of those skills, it's the quantitative and qualitative playing off one another in really profound ways that I think allows successful leaders to emerge, whether you are leading a hardcore professional business organization or whether you're leading a not-for-profit.
0: I'm gonna take a guess and say that if you go to a a family dinner or a networking event, somebody ends up asking you, should I get my MBA? (laughs) How do you help them evaluate if they're ready?
1: So I think the first question is, why are you even considering this? What do you know about the MBA degree? And what do you think it will do to facilitate some aspect of your life? And I think the MBA degree is quite popular. So people know of it. There is a perception that it creates a certain type of professional in the world. And so I think people make choices based on that perception without really asking themselves, what is it that I want to gain or learn from business education? So I think that's an important foundation. I obviously, am the leader of perhaps the world's most influential, certainly among the largest, certainly amongst the best business schools on the planet. So I have an affinity to want to encourage people to consider the MBA degree for themselves. What you gain is a fundamental understanding of how societies function from an economic and business perspective, how commerce manifests, and most successful societies are driven because there has been successful commerce. And understanding that, you can learn that on your own through self learning, you can learn it in other ways, but you are intentionally learning from others how commerce manifests successful societies when you attend a business school.
0: How do you think through, and I'll go back to personal experience, when Danielle and I, before we started The Skin, we were both working in media jobs and both trying to figure out something's got to change in our career. How do we make that shift happen? And to your question, it's like, well, why would you go get an MBA? And I think we both knew that we gravitated towards the business side, didn't know exactly what that would look like. We were roommates. I had the GMAT book, the GRE book. Danielle had The Secret. We had an LSAT book. It was just like a very good depiction of two people that were lost. And one of the things that honestly, like really was part of my evaluation process as to to why I did not go down the MBA path was the financial burden. Knowing what an investment it was going to be financially and then not knowing if I would be able to get a job afterwards that would help pay off whatever that investment was. How do you advise people to think about the financial cost of an MBA?
1: So I think it's the same as thinking about the financial cost of any investment you're making in yourself, right? if you were considering higher education and it was not the MBA, but it was a master's in fine arts or master's in fashion design or master's in something else, there's still a cost associated with that. And you've got to look to determine whether or not the cost of that, both in terms of the financial cost, but also in terms of your your time and the opportunity cost of what, what you could be doing in lieu of earning that advanced degree. That argument applies regardless of which degree you're looking to pursue. There is ample evidence to suggest that a degree in business does in fact have a pretty significant return on investment because the market in this country at least tends to reward or show gains for people who have the skills associated with what comes from the business degree. So I think the likelihood of not being able to pay back student loans, for example, or reap the benefit of the time invested in that degree is far less of a concern for those who have an MBA degree than for those who might pursue other types of degrees. Regardless, I think, you know, we all make choices and we can choose to enter areas where there's considerable need for the skill set that one has and where there is need. Oftentimes those roles tend to be compensated higher than roles that where there is less need.
0: Going back to kind of my original question a few minutes ago, where I'm sure you get stopped all the time in your personal life of like, my cousin is thinking of an MBA. Do you think they should get one, or you should meet my niece? How do you know that somebody's just not ready for an MBA? That like, you know what? Like, this is actually probably not the right path for them.
1: If they can't articulate what <laughs> their understanding of what the degree is, they're probably not ready. If they can't articulate why they want the degree and a pathway about how this degree will help advance some set of goals that they want to achieve, then they're probably not ready. Might they be ready later in their life? Yes, absolutely, because we all evolve and grow and mature and and learn different things. But it wouldn't necessarily advise everyone to automatically assume that once you graduate from college, you do the prerequisite three, four, five years of work experience and then automatically go back to an MBA. Because it's not a degree for everyone, but for those who have a very clear pathway of what they want to achieve, it might very well be.
0: For those that are listening, that are thinking of applying to get into an MBA program, whether a top tier school or or not, if you had to skim your top pieces of advice for the process, what would you say they are?
1: How do you make your application stand out? Oh, it's funny you ask because my daughter is doing college applications as we speak. So oh the gosh, whole application good luck. <laughs> process is very much front and center for me. So again, I think by the time you're looking at an MBA, you have enough life experience to know what you enjoy, what you're good at, what you gravitate towards. And I think the MBA is something that can facilitate those things. So first step is doing sort of an audit of what you enjoy, what you're good at, and how you envision the life that you want to have unfold. I think it's important to pay attention to what areas of expertise, if you will, are offered by different kinds of MBA programs, and narrowing your choice of school based on where there's an alignment between what you're really interested in and which schools have that emphasis or focus. The more you talk to people, especially alumni of those programs, the more you get a better handle of what was the experience in the program for those two years. And also, you get a sense of what happens to alumni from those programs afterwards. What have their career trajectories been? What is their network like? How much access do they have to people in the fields that they want to pursue? So those are some of the key things that people should be doing at the outset of the application process to help determine A, whether I want this degree and B, where I want this degree from and C, what are the avenues of support that are there for me once I make those first two decisions.
0: Is there a common just mistake you see people do on their applications that you're like, people stop doing this? (laughs)
1: <laughs> oftentimes people reference the campus they'll say you know why do you want to come to Penn why do you want to come to oh, oh I love the campus it's wait, I totally did that in my <laughs> application
0: for college by the way
1: <laughs> wait you shouldn't refer you should not reference the campus no it's not that you shouldn't but it's not going to add value like it's not going oh, to know more about you
0: Right. Okay, well, I know this was like undergrad and it wasn't worn, but I definitely wrote like, I see myself on these, this path, <laughs> <laughs> walking down this street. So yeah, okay, this is very helpful, guys. Do not talk about the campus.
1: Or, or talk about the campus in addition to other things that will help us know more about you, the individual.
0: <laughs> Fair. So you kind of alluded to this in the beginning, but historically and and by reputation, business schools are known for not being the most diverse environments and environments with a tremendous amount of privilege. What would you say to somebody listening who is a person of color, who who does not feel like a business education or pursuing their MBA is for them?
1: So I think the first thing is let's do your homework, right? It goes back to the prior question. There are some fundamental things that one should do to just educate themselves on the degree, on the opportunities, on where there is an intersection between why they are considering this degree and what the degree can actually help facilitate in one's personal and professional life. I would also say that I think it's pretty much a misnomer that there is a monolithic homogeneous population that attends business schools. The number of people who come from different parts of the country, who come from different parts of the world, who come from different socioeconomic backgrounds, who come from different racial and ethnic groups, who come from different sexual orientations, all of those things. We're seeing far more diversity within the business school pipeline and application base. And that diversity in those areas makes its way into the diversity that exists in the class. So I think increasingly we're finding more people who are more representative of the world writ large choosing business education than we have in the past. So I'm really working to change the narrative and the myth that business schools are no longer diverse because in fact, most of them are actually quite diverse and most of them are really working to prioritize creating a holistic and diverse pipeline and class.
0: You have been the first a lot in your career. What do you say to students or those listening who might be the first themselves? What has those experiences taught you?
1: It has taught me you may be the first, but you should not be the last. And there's a real responsibility associated with being in these positions because they are a bit more visible. People see you and recognize what you have done and they're looking for how they can see themselves in you. And just like every step of the way in my career, there were people, all genders and races and backgrounds that supported me. I feel, and I think those of us who are first. Have a tremendous responsibility to help others not necessarily follow in our footsteps, but pursue what it is they want to pursue, whether they're the first or whether they're the 50th.
0: In your own career, you've studied crisis management, you've helped companies overcome their own obstacles, and you're also really known for bringing a straightforward and a little bit of a different leadership style to business education. How would you qualify or classify what that style is?
1: I think what I try to do is be a very human leader. As I mentioned, I studied psychology and I studied psychology for a reason because I was intrigued by understanding people. I was intrigued by understanding why people do the things they do and and how to utilize people's talents in ways for the betterment of an organization or society. And so I think that my leadership has largely resonated with those elements of my interests and background in terms of really focusing on people. So yes, of course we have hardcore objectives that we're trying to achieve. We have goals that we want to manifest. But I also believe that you only achieve those things by the people who comprise the organization. And if they're not feeling tied to those goals, if they're not feeling inspired, if they're not feeling enthusiasm for the colleagues that they're working with, you're not going to achieve, the organization is not going to be successful. So I think what I've tried to do is really spend perhaps an inordinate amount of time on understanding how do I work with the people in the organization and let the people do the activity that leads to their own personal fulfillment, which then also leads to the fulfillment of the organization's goals.
0: This past year has obviously been Such a crazy year for many reasons for everybody, but also specifically for anybody in a position of leadership, where it's really tested different types of leaders. It's forced so many issues to the forefront at once in in many cases. Talk to me a little bit about the change that we're seeing around what being a leader means.
1: I think what I've observed most this past year is the fundamental need to create environments of empathy. Everyone is going through so many challenges, so many new circumstances. In some cases, for some people, so much heartache and pain and suffering or confusion or ambiguity. And to believe that we can function and operate in the same ways that we had outside of this pandemic that we found ourselves in, that's not a, a reasonable assumption. So I think the more we can have a level of empathy and patience with one another, the more likely we will get through this together. I think it also requires that leaders have to be attuned to the people that they work with in new and different ways. So it's not just let's look at the goals that you've outlined, but let's look at all of the things that you have on your plate, not only all of the same work goals that you had, but now you're managing your three-year-old's school situation at home. Now you are dealing with a spouse who may not be employed any longer. Now you are dealing with the health care of your parents in different ways. So I think all of those things now are part of the workforce and leaders have to be attuned to that and factor those things in to the expectations that they have for when and how much things can get done.
0: Are there leaders that you've studied from afar, or maybe not afar, but I'm assuming afar from this past year that that you've learned a lot from?
1: So I tend to learn a lot from people and situations that oftentimes are sort of outside of my regular environment. So I'll give you a perfect example. Right now we're looking at how do we invite our community back to campus our staff community our faculty community and create more of an in-person experience after the 18 months that we have been in this more remote environment and there are some things that we're going to have to be dealing with that we've not dealt with in the past for example uh, if we have masks in the classroom well there are implications for that where can we learn about the challenges that other organizations have had with something similar. Well, the airlines have had to institute masks on the airplanes. They've had to have their frontline workers, such as their flight attendants, ask and monitor and, and deal with passengers who may or may not want to be wearing masks. So the equivalent for us is we have faculty going into classrooms with students who may or may not to you know abide by a mask policy. How do we prepare organization, our our student population, our faculty, our staff for that new context. I'm going to learn from what happened at the airlines, right? So those are ways in which I think I seek people and situations that are related, but perhaps tangential to a business school, if you will.
0: What is the greatest change in your own leadership style that you've seen from before the pandemic to today?
1: I am generally quite competitive. Like I I want to, not necessarily for me, but for whatever group or organization that I'm leading, I want us to be recognized as among the best in what we do. And I realized over this past year and a half that that's not always the right or best metric. And so I've had to think about, well, what does really matter in this period of time? And it's not necessarily about being the best. It's about being the best for a particular purpose. It's about being the best place to meet the needs of our employees. It's about being the best place to meet the educational experiences for our students, recognizing that how we're operationalizing best may be very different now than it was two years ago, and we have to be okay with that.
0: I wanna move to our listener questions. This was from Annalise. Annalise says, is getting your MBA worth it if you don't want to switch industries and want to stay in your field? It seems like you would be losing out on experience in your current field. Great question, Annalise.
1: That is a great question. And I think this is where it might be very industry specific. So for example, there are some industries for whom the most valued degree is the engineering degree. And getting an MBA might help you have a better sense about what happens in the organization, but it might not necessarily be valued by your industry. So there, I think you have to really weigh the trade-offs. I also think you have to look at the sort of short and medium term versus the longer term. The MBA degree is gonna provide value to you over the span of your career, whether or not you remain with a particular organization or even with a particular industry. And so thinking about not just what's going to help me in the next five years, but what's going to help me over the course of the next 25 years and evaluating a decision around the MBA and from that context.
0: My last question, who else should we have on the show? Ooh, uh,
1: Let's see. Well, again, I, I always go back to what I can learn from people who are in different fields so is do I have free reign to think about people? You have free reign. Okay, so I'm a big Hamilton fan, the, the musical, and Lin-Manuel Miranda in particular, I think has demonstrated, not just with Hamilton, but in the portfolio of his career and what he's created, a particular kind of genius that I find really inspiring and compelling and want to learn more about.
0: I feel like Lin would be just really intimidated by hearing me sing Hamilton to him because that's what would happen if he was on the show. Exactly. (laughs) I feel like it would just, it would just make him very uncomfortable because it would just, the talent that I have would be so overwhelming for him.
1: He'd write you right into his next script. Totally.
0: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Dean James, thank you so much. Congratulations. So thrilled for you in this new role and um, an honor to talk to you today. Thank you so much. My pleasure.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday.
0: In the meantime, check out our news podcast, Skim This. Every Thursday, we cover what you need to know each week in 30 minutes or less.